Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. And we're going to be reading from the Passion Translation. Thank you, Father. I'm going to uh, just do a little bit different this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just go right through it. Sometimes I'll read the text and then pray and then tell you some stories. But we're going to just, I'm going to start teaching out of the text right now. So pray with me if you would. Father, thank you so much for loving us well and loving us beyond our comprehension and loving us in a way where it transforms the very heart of who we are. And so we just receive your love. We open up our hearts to your love. We thank you for the saints, Lord. Thank you for every person in this room. And we've come not just to gather, but to be assembled together. So join our hearts and connect us. And Lord, open up our ears and our eyes to see, to hear, and to receive what you're speaking to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, say in Jesus' name. And would you shout out amen and seal it with praise. Come on. Hallelujah. When my daughter and I were in London, one of the pastors, uh, precious brother in the Lord, he would, uh, he would repeat, he would say, let's go ahead and give your best clap offering to the Lord. And he would repeat that and everyone would clap. And so Sarah and I would just do that. We'd be in the room and be like, Sarah, give your best clap offering to the Lord right now. <laughs> it's so good to, to praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. Okay. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about covenant. Say covenant. covenant. And we're going to be talking about the new covenant, the one that we participate in. Um, I think there, there can't be enough teaching on this. I mean, we really need to understand, as Christians, we are part of a new covenant. Uh, and, uh, and what that means to us and how it will affect our lives. You know, um, we, we do teach uh, the finished work message, and we do teach the message of grace, and we do teach uh, in this church that you uh, need to know who you are. Not only do you discover who God really is, come on somebody, but you discover who you are. And when you discover who you are, uh, it transforms your behavior. We We don't push sin management sermons in this church, come on somebody. I mean, you know, that's like going to the doctor and getting a bunch of prescriptions and then giving all the prescriptions go to one of your neighbors or something. It doesn't work. Hello? I mean, if you've been to the doctor at any point and you get prescriptions, it would be really silly to take all those prescriptions and say, hey, neighbor, this is for you. It just, it doesn't work. And so what we really need is we need to know who we are. And the heart of what I'm going to be sharing today is about the new covenant And in Hebrews chapter 8, the author of Hebrews transitions from chapters 1 through 7, talking about that Jesus is a better priest. He is the the, the high priest. Uh, It was a type and shadow of what we see in the Old Testament. And he names Melchizedek and Aaron. And and in the beginning, he, he talks about that Jesus himself is the expressed image of the Father, Hebrews 1.3 is a very powerful verse. It says when we look at Jesus, we're actually looking at who God is. So if you ever want to know, like, all right, God, what, what do you think about this situation? Just look to Jesus. There's no God hiding behind Jesus, as the brilliant uh, late T.F. Torrance put. There's no Father hiding behind the Son. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And in chapter 8, there's a transition where now he's talking about the new and better 
covenant, the covenant that Jesus uh, made and sealed with his precious blood is better than the covenant of old. So we're going to start reading from verse seven. Just want to give you a little context. For if the first covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second one to replace it. Can you just say covenant? covenant. Replace it. I, I want to just say something here. You are not a part of some combination of old covenant and new covenant. You are part of the new covenant in Christ. You are not under the law. You are under grace. One of the most paralyzing, I would say two of the most paralyzing lies that Christians believe that, that literally frees them from living the life, uh, the abundant life that God created them to live. One is believing that you're a sinner. Two is uh, thinking that somehow you're still under the law and you still have to obey some things in the old covenant. Now we know that there are ceremonial laws that are no longer applicable to us. If they were, wouldn't we wouldn't be allowed in the church with glasses on. And I mean, there's all sorts of rules and regulations. How many know that we don't have to obey the same rule. We don't, but to enter in the presence of God, we don't have to bathe seven times or be the high priest, right? So we understand that, but don't be paralyzed or frozen as a believer from walking in the abundant life God has for you by believing that it's okay to just be under the law sometimes. Now, I want to just say this, that yeah, oh, I'm not under the law, pastor. I understand that, I, you know, like I'm under grace. But sometimes we create our own laws with our religious fallen minds. And we hold ourselves under these things that bring shame and condemnation because that's how we've learned to live our Christian life, thinking that's what's going to change our behavior. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, if the covenant was faultless, then we wouldn't need another one to replace it. The old covenant is not in existence anymore. Can you say amen? amen? Now, I don't want you to be confused. I'm not talking about the 39 books that we call the Old Testament. The Bible is the inspired word of God and authoritative. Can you say amen? amen. When I say that, I'm talking about the Mosaic covenant. And it, the author goes on and says, but God revealed the defect and limitation of the first when he said to his people. Now, the author is about to quote Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 33. Jeremiah 31, 33, if you're taking notes, you can reference that. Uh, I love the way that this translation puts it. God revealed the defect and limitation. If you still live in a place where, we, where you have old covenant mindsets, or we still think we're under the law, our Christian life will be full of defect and limitation. Oh man, pastor, you are preaching this morning. Thank you for the good word. I'm just encouraging myself because y'all are quiet. I don't know what's wrong with you. How many know that we have been given a new and better covenant? Come on. And we need to understand what this means. Now, here's what, this is a powerful promise. Y'all ready? Jeremiah 31, 33. Now, the, the author of Hebrews is quoting that. Uh, and let's look. Look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers, when I led them by my hand out of Egypt, for they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I rejected them, says the Lord God. Now there's some really powerful truths in this. 
And I love this. It says, for here's the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. How many know this is referring to the Messiah? I will embed my laws within their thoughts and fasten them unto their hearts. I will be their loyal God and they will be my loyal people. Let me, let me just say this. Take note, guys. The law of God is not something that we are enforced to keep anymore. But the heart beat, the goodness and the grace of God, the law of God now, the new covenant law, is branded upon our hearts. It's not outside of us. I have this picture. Every time I think of this, the only way I can describe it is like when I think about rhythm. And how many know um, that there are sometimes some people have issues with rhythm? Amen. We have a little saying, we call it CRD, Caucasian Rhythmic Disorder. All my brothers and sisters just wave at me, say, hey, come on, somebody. All the white people receive the anointing to be free from that. I'm not white, so I don't, I, I don't need that. But I, I, I think that it's a good description or depiction of how sometimes we live our life. We're trying to catch up to the rhythm. Like if you have rhythm, it's hard to clap off beat because it's ingrained in you. It's almost like it's your heartbeat. It's from within. And to me, this is what God is saying. No longer are you going to try to keep up with some rhythm of the law that's outside of you, but it comes from within you. Like it comes from your DNA. It comes from your heart because now God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. We're going to read that in just a moment in Ezekiel 36. But he goes on. He says, the, uh, oh, I love this part. They will be the, I will be their loyal God and they will be my loyal people in that order. You're not loyal to God because you're just so special. You're loyal to God because he's loyal to you. And he's loyal to you when you're loyalists. I don't even know if that's a word, but it works. When you are faithless, he is faithful. This is who God is, y'all. Like we have to get this that, well, I just want to love God. I just want to love God. Let him love you. You know, a lot of uh, slogans or Core values for churches, oh, we just want to love God and love people and make disciples. And I think that's a good core value. But I would say we're missing the most powerful one. Let God love you. Trumps all of them. As a matter of fact, you can't do any of them unless you let God love you. Hello? And that's what the new covenant is all about. You're going to be loyal because he's loyal to you. You're going to have faith because he supplied it to you. The reason we have faith is because he's given it to us. The just shall live by his faith. And the result of this will be everyone will know me, says the Lord. There'll be no uh, need to teach all their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you will know the Lord Jehovah, since everyone will know me inwardly from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them. Come on, somebody. And listen, I will forgive their evil deeds and I'll never remember again their sins. Which implies maybe we should let them go too. The last part of this, verse 13, is very profound and very important for us to seal one of the main points I'm trying to make right now. The author says this proves that by establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete ready to expire and about to disappear. This was written right before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. 
which was the nail in the coffin of the old covenant. Ezekiel 36, verse 25, another powerful promise that speaks of the new covenant, one of the prophets of the Old Testament. says, then I will sprinkle, this is God talking through the prophet, I'll sprinkle, sprinkle, excuse me, I will sprinkle, 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 clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Listen, this is indicative of water baptism, of the living waters of Jesus that we drink from. He says, I'm gonna cleanse you with pure water and you will be clean. And then he says this, I will give you a new heart. Can you say this with me? Say new heart. New heart. heart. Well, pastor, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Yeah, the fallen heart is, but if you're a believer, you have a new heart. Stop taking a verse and applying it to you when it doesn't apply to you. You have a new heart. And the Bible says that he'll put a new spirit within us. He'll take out the stony heart and give us a heart of flesh. What does that mean? No longer is your heart going to be hardened to that exterior thing that you're trying to catch up with, but it will be moldable and malleable in the hand of God. You have a teachable heart. You have a moldable heart. You have a teachable spirit. It's who you are. It's who you are as a son and a daughter of the living God. And then he goes on. This is such a powerful promise. And then he says, and I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. You see in the old covenant that we're no longer a part of, hallelujah. I mean, can you imagine like in the old covenant, some of the things that happen like Uzzah touches the ark and what happens? Just judgment hits him and he falls over and dies. I mean, can you imagine a word, one of our worship leaders hits the wrong chord and uh, they just die. Like, I don't think we realize how blessed we are to be a part of a new and better covenant. But under the old covenant, it was enforced obedience under the new covenant, hear me, it's empowered obedience. He says, I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you. It's just like, wow, this is easy, man. God's grace supplies. God's grace changes my thoughts. God's grace changes my desires. Now I'm desiring the things of God because I know who he is and I know who I am and I know what he's done for me. That's the new covenant reality that we are created to walk in. Now, the big question is, can we say amen to those great verses? Hebrews chapter eight, quoting Jeremiah 31, 33 and Ezekiel 26, two very profound promises. You need to memorize those verses. When you're uh, just learning this, when you're teaching other Christians, this is powerful promises that point to the new covenant. What is a covenant? Now, this is just a strange word. Like we don't really use this word very often. I don't know about you, but uh, when I was a kid, some of my friends would do this thing called blood brothers. Who, who remembers that? I think it might have come from like some tribe or something. I don't know, maybe some tribal thing. <laughs> but they'd cut their thumbs and, and then they'd mix their blood and, like, and it was like a pact, you know, like we're blood brothers. And, um, and it, was, it was a type of a covenant. Now covenant, obviously we see it in the Bible and it was, a, it was an exchange. It was a vow, a pact, a, an agreement that says what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. That would include our enemies. So that means that my enemies are your enemies and vice versa. 
So it's almost like we're, we're, we're connecting, we're bonding, and the blood signified, it's like till death do us part. Like there's nothing that's going to break this covenant. Um, you think about like in relationships, I, I want to talk about covenant because for us to understand what covenant is and how it applies to us in Christ, we have to talk about the word. Uh, there are relationships that you have that, and we've even said this, like, have you ever, have you ever heard some say, well, I'm in covenant with you, brother. I don't think we really understand the depth or the meaning of the word covenant. If we say that, because we can say that out of one side of our mouths at the other side of our mouth, we can say, well, you broke the covenant brother. So I'm no longer in covenant with you. Then you didn't understand what covenant was because covenant has, it's, it's a bond that is, uh, that is not breakable. And, and so when we talk about this, you know, like we have this, this saying, you've heard the saying, ride or die. It's not a, it's not a positive saying, you know, I think it originated from, uh, like a girl who, who's going to ride with a biker, uh, and, and no matter what he does, like he could rape, pillage and plunder. She's going to still ride with him and stick by his side. Ride or die. How many have any ride or die friends? Come on, somebody. Those are good friends to have, by the way, like people that are just going to be with you through thick and thin. Amen? Amen. Now, still, though, that doesn't really depict what covenant is. Now, you could, you could say family. What about family? Um, you know, family, I think, has a powerful representation of what covenant is, like a, a mom with her, her baby or a father with her, with, uh, his kids. And, you know, I was thinking about when my daughter and I were in London, um, we, uh, we really were enjoying ourselves. We we're having a blast. And, but many times we'd say, man, do you miss the fam bam? We call the fam bam. You know, we have a thread on, on our phone called the fam bam shmam. And that's just Rochelle and I and the kids. It's the fam bam shmam. And so there's a, there's a family unit. There's a circle. You could almost say it's like a covenant. And, and here's the thing about covenant. Not only is what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. Your enemies are my enemies. Now, how many can say like as parents in a family, I, I love, I don't know why, but when my wife gets feisty, I love it. You look so cute when you're feisty, honey. But you know, she just loves people so well. But if you cross one of her kids you're going to see the lioness come out, right? How many know what I'm saying? Mamas, like so-and-so, you know, hit my kid on the playground. What? Shangarabataya. Like you, all of a sudden you think about all the verses in the Bible where Jesus ran out the, the money changers in the temple. And you think about all these judgment verses and Matthew 23, Jesus rebuking the fair. And all of a sudden this righteous indignation comes up on the inside of you. And it's just like, I'm in covenant with my kids and you better not touch them. My enemies are your enemies. And I think it would be a facet of what covenant is, but it's still not quite the same. So my daughter and I, for a while, we're like, man, I miss the rest of the family. Because here's the thing about covenant. And, and this is something you need, to, you need to grab a hold of. This is a truth that can, that can help you understand the covenant that you have in Christ and it's this, that when you are enjoying something or you have something or you participate in something, you always want to share it with the ones that you love. 
How many can say amen? So my daughter and I are walking through London. I'm like taking pictures. I'm like, I got to show the whole family this. I want them to see this. I want them. I'm eating fish and chips at a pub. I'm like, I wish David could try this. He would love this. My son, David. And I'm thinking about all this. And every once in a while, I'd see a little kid and I think about Layla. I'm like, dang it. I miss Layla. Because when you love someone, you want to share with them. There's this participation of joy, of communion, of life, and of love. And, and that's a piece to what covenant is. It's almost like we're in this together. Like through thick and thin, we're, we're bonded. We're bonded. But even then, that still doesn't depict what the word covenant means in the Bible. Did you know that? Like we really don't have a covenant with each other. If we were to look at what the Bible is talking about as, as far as covenant in the context of which it was written, covenant is a much deeper word. Now, the closest thing I would say is probably a marriage um, because the two shall become one. And there's something really profound. When, you know, when we, were, uh, when we were in London, my wife, we were there for nine days, I think, and um, I just felt so flattered when she said this. She said, honey, I, I just can't sleep when you're gone. I'm like, that's right, baby. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I, and, uh, and, and I'm like, that, what, what do you mean? I just want to hear a little bit more. <laughs> she's like, I, it's just hard to sleep when you're not here. So I come home and she's like, man, that's like the first good night of sleep I've had in a long time. But your snoring woke me up. And I'm thinking, you can't live with me. You can't live without me. Come on, somebody. Isn't that how relationships are sometimes? Isn't that how community is sometimes? It's like they give you peace and joy and love, and, but they rub you the wrong way, but it's worth it. Come on. We should think of relationships like that sometimes. I think we should think of relationships like, yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road, but it's worth it because God put you in my life and, and God put me in your life. Amen? We're in this together. But even a marriage doesn't depict the word covenant. I want to ask you a question, and it's not a trick question per se, but I want you to just think about it. Do you have a covenant with God personally or individually? It's a good question. Do we have a covenant with God? What does the word covenant mean? Sometimes we, I think we think of the word covenant as just a relationship, like I have a relationship with God. What about when you walk away? Does he have a relationship with you? And maybe you're just not participating in the relationship with him. I think sometimes we think that when we walk away from God, he walks away from us. He's not like us. He, he pursues us. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's married to the backslider. Sometimes I think he's closer metaphorically. I don't understand this to people that are broken, hurting and what we would see as backslidden or prodigals or distant, people on the streets, people that are depressed, closer than the guy who's worshiping on the front row or the pastor preaching from the pulpit. Somehow, God is right there with those that are, quote, lost. Here's the truth, guys. Covenant is such a rich word. It's merely a word that describes a relationship and a union that's too beautiful for words. Because to answer the question, do I have a personal or individual covenant with God? Well, no and yes. You don't 
but you do. Well, what do you mean? Your covenant with God is because you participate in the life of Jesus Christ. Because the covenant God made with the blood of his son was between him and his son. And because now we are in Christ, we participate in that love, in that fellowship, and in that union. Come on. You know the most beautiful thing about that? And, And we saw this earlier in Hebrews, the defect and the limitation. You can't mess this covenant up now. You can't mess it up. How many, know, how many know we would mess it up? Is there anyone in here who's never messed a relationship up in their entire life? You lying. I saw a hand raise. <laughs> Richard, you messed up this. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, man. Really, though, right? We can't raise our hand. It's hard. You, you, and, and with our relationship with God, can I just help you out right now? <laughs> You don't have to strive to have a relationship with God. His love will pull you into that union. His grace will push you into the lap of the Father. His life will redeem you. His love will heal you and set you free from the things that were holding on to, the broken things. So when we talk about covenant, I think marriage is the closest, but it's still a word, covenant, relationship, union. Those are words to describe a relationship that we can't even, it's too beautiful for words themselves. I want to read Romans chapter six to you. And in a little bit here, we're going to be coming to the table of the Lord and partaking of Holy Communion. Romans chapter six. Oh man, this is so good. You got to dive into Romans six, man. So what do we do then? Do we persist or continue in sin so that God's kindness or grace will increase? What a terrible thought. <laughs> I love uh, the, just the, the old New King James. Um, one of the English vernaculars can be translated, hell no. <laughs> Hell's in the Bible, guys. Okay, I can say that. And I can say other words that are in the King James, but I won't. Um, And Abraham sat upon his donkey. But there's another word for donkey. (laughs) One of the vernaculars is, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hell no. By no means. Certainly not. That sounds much more proper, right? Certainly not, brethren. Now here's what he says. It's so powerful. We have died to sin once and for all. As a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Now look, this underline this or just brand it in your heart and your mind. Have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? You were united with him in his death. You were joined with him. Do you know that in in this covenant that was made, it wasn't just, yes, it was the blood of Jesus. The Bible says the life is in the blood. And many times because our paradigm of sacrificial understanding, what that means is we think that Jesus came to pay off his angry dad with his blood. That's That's not the gospel, church, come on. He came, his blood was not for the father, it was for us. His blood cleanses us, not the father's mind to see us better. God, God, the blood of God, the blood of the son did not change God's mind about you. It changed our mind about God. 
That's why we're the ones that repent, not God. Oh, wow, that's a good word. But in the blood of Jesus, of course, yes, the sacrifice, his atoning work, at one union, we're joined with him. But it wasn't just, it wasn't just the cross. It wasn't all that. It was his entire life because when he was conceived in a virgin by the name of Mary, he was fully God and fully man. It's called the hypostatic union. In other words, Jesus had two natures, one person divine and human. He was fully human and fully God. It's the mystery of what the early church calls the hypostatic union. What does that mean to me and you? It means that this covenant is so rich and so deep that his divinity, his divine, precious, anointed blood touched our broken humanity. He cleanses us, heals us down to the core of our being. So now this covenant is so powerful that it changes, gives us a new heart. Come on, puts his law upon our hearts, but he changes our our very DNA. Now our DNA is repaired and we know who we are and we live and walk differently. See, the the understanding of salvation is not just because Jesus died and rose again. Yes, that's the climax, but it's his entire life. It's everything. It's from the virgin womb to the empty tomb. It's the entire life of Jesus that saves you. It's his life that saves you. This is what Romans says too. And so when we understand this covenant, oh man, it's because God became flesh and he joined his divinity to our broken humanity. And how many know he ascended into heaven in his earthly glorified body? In other words, it's an eternal reminder of that condescending love and humility. And forever God is joined to humanity. God became flesh forever. Someday you'll be able to hug him. I can't wait. I'll see if his beard looks like mine. Jesus, how'd I do, man? I'm trying to look like you. He did just fine. How many know that, yeah, God is spirit. God the Son is flesh. covenant so much bigger and broader we could ever comprehend. It's a, only a word to describe something so beautiful that we're just beginning to discover this love that we get to share in because he loves us so much. He's like, I got to share what I participate in. It's the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? Paul goes on, says, sharing by his death, our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him this is so good. So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. How, wants, how many of you say, I want some fresh life? Come on. You're looking fresh today. Hallelujah. This is it right here, guys. I'm going to just, I'm going to drop a nice bomb on some of you that don't know this. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like this, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Could it not be any clearer that our former former identity, say former identity, identity. the old man, the the sin nature, whatever you want to call it, The former identity is now and forever deprived of its power. The old man's dead. 
well, pastor, but I, I, I just want to, I still have this flesh. This, we, you know, can I just say what the flesh is? The flesh is not some funky gargoyle that just kind of sticks around and it's kind of wrapped up in our brains. And that's not the flesh. The flesh is not a, a, an opposing nature that you have. If you're a Christian, you have a new heart. We just read the scripture. That means the core of your being is you, you've been washed and renewed and regened by the Holy Spirit. Regened, you got new genes on. Come on, somebody. You got new genes. New, your DNA is repaired. And when we say things like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you're literally in direct opposition to what the Bible says. The Bible says you're a saint being transformed by grace. Well, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. He's talking about what he did and was redeemed from. He was an enemy of the church. He was in charge of the first martyr for God's sakes. And the Bible says that our old man is dead. The flesh is not some gargoyle, something that we like to keep it around. Well, that's just, sorry, brother. That was my flesh. The the term flesh is used to describe desires or intentions that are toxic or unhealthy that sometimes are in our minds, our hearts, and even our souls and even our spirits. 2 Corinthians 7.1, I believe it, yeah, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, cleanse yourself from the defilement of the flesh and the spirit. So the flesh is something, not something that we have to continually crucify, but as we continue to yield to the grace of God and the reality that the old man was dead in Christ, the flesh dissipates. The flesh being the carnal desires and appetites of humans because we are fallen, fallen thinking, stinking thinking. Hello? Stop claiming the flesh like it's some part of you that you'll never get rid of. Now, there are times bad desires can raise up. Sometimes, you know, we have uh, cravings for things that are not good. Hashtag Krispy Kremes. Come on, somebody. I'm just playing. That's a holy desire in Jesus' name. See, see how I tricked myself? I, self-deception. But the flesh is not some other nature that you have. The Bible says those that are Christ have crucified the flesh. In other words, you, the, the flesh was dealt with at the cross. Stop pampering it and talking to it and trying to make it alive like it's a little pet lizard that you need to keep alive. It's, a, it's the wrong way of thinking. Well, what about Paul in Romans 7? He says, that what I want to do and I don't do. And I, yeah, that's confusing, right? That's the, that's the, the life of the Christian that tr- tries to live as a Christian still living under the law. Keep reading. You got to get to Romans 8, man. You got to get to Romans 8. Are you saying we don't have a flesh? I'm saying the flesh is crucified. And if, you, if we deal with desires, we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. The Bible never says to crucify the flesh. I know I'm messing with you guys. It doesn't say that. Well, Paul said, I die daily. Did he really? Did he really, praise God? Let, I, can I just turn there real quick? 2 Corinthians the end of the the end of the book i think I'm not sure we'll find out in a minute many times i remember early on i was being discipled by somebody um maybe it's first corinthians 
Travis, can you find it for me? I believe it's 1 Corinthians 15, if it's not 2nd. Thank you, Lord. So, I remember early on, this guy that was discipling me, he's like, yeah, you have to die daily. Look, it's, Paul said, I die daily. 1 Corinthians 15, what verse? Okay, thank you. And I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta die, I gotta die. I'm bad, I'm evil, I'm depraved. And not knowing the new covenant reality of what actually had happened to me, that my spirit was alive unto God, I have a new heart, a new spirit, he calls me a son. I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint being transformed by grace, empowered by grace, and it's that grace that pulls me in, it's that grace that changes my desires, it's that grace that makes me realize like I don't need to, to feed desires that are unhealthy fleshly desires, carnal desires. And I remember this verse, he says it here in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read it. I'm going to read it from the New King James because that's where it's always quoted from. Let's see here. King, King James Version, yeah. James. Verse 31, 1 Corinthians 15. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. And we'll take the one verse, just one verse, and say, oh, I have to die to self. Wait, if you have a good new self, the Bible says put on the new self and put off concerning the old self. The things concerning the old self. The old man was crucified with him. We just read it in Romans 6. Are you all enjoying this this morning? You're in a new covenant. You've got to understand this. It will change your life. You will live differently. You will walk differently. You will think differently. Paul said, I die daily. What was he saying? Well, don't just read in the King James. Let's read the context. The context, he's talking about all the persecution that he faces. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV. Now, if there's no direct uh, verse, what was it? Verse 31. I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He goes on and he talk, he's talking about the persecution he faces while preaching the gospel. I face death every day, not I die to self every day. God doesn't want who you are at your core to die. He wants who at your core to come alive. He wants you to know who you are at your core. There might be parts of us that need to fall off and die. Come on, somebody. There might be anger or the, the works of the flesh. But how many know that that's not who I am? You got to know who you are and that will change what you do. Let me close with Romans 6. He goes on, he says, the old man is dead. Say, the old man is dead. Could it be inner clear, any clearer? Our old identity is now forever deprived of its power. We're co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. Come on. So that we could not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. What does that mean? That doesn't mean you can't sin because sometimes we make bad choices. But it doesn't mean it's our core nature to sin. If you're a believer and you do bad things and you sin, you're going against your nature. That's why it feels so strange. Hello? Hello? 
man, I started going to church. I got set free and I went back to the club and I just fell off. I had CRD. I couldn't even dance. You couldn't even, you couldn't fit into that because you're moving with a different rhythm. It's not an exterior rhythm. It's an interior rhythm where you're a new person in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Something changed within you. It's not just an exterior thing where you go to church and hang out with different people, but you have new DNA. You move to a different drum beat. Come on, somebody. You've been regened, washed, and cleansed, and renewed. You got a new heart, a new spirit. You walk to a different rhythm. It's called the rhythm of grace. He goes on. He says, come on, y'all, get with it. That's my paraphrase. Dismantle the stronghold of sin. A dead man is incapable of sinning. If we are co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we'll also share in the fullness of his life. Remember what I said, a covenant... It's, it's like how family wants to share. You love someone. You want to share. I, I've been accused of this. It's probably true. I'm a food pusher. But I don't do it because I want to make you large. I do it because I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. And that's what God's doing. When we come to the table, the Lord God's like, hey, you have to, you have to partake of this love, his presence, his life, his blood. Because it'll change you. It'll transform you. Do you know what communion does? It preaches the gospel to you when you don't even have ears. You partake of the presence. You take on the life, the divine blood of Jesus, and it washes you. It doesn't just cleanse you from sin. It remisses sin from your being. In other words, it it heals the core of why we're broken in the first place. And he goes on. Let me just, let me get through this. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all, but now he lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you, since you are now joined to him, joined to him, in union with him, in covenant, in this participating in this life, this union, because we're in Christ, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. The more I believe and trust and throw myself at the feet of Jesus and surrender. By the way, surrender is not an act. It's the ceasing of an act. Surrender is not striving. It's saying, I can't do it on my own, God. I need you. I give up. And when I throw myself at the cross and what he's accomplished with his life, I find myself no longer being swayed or responsive to the appeal of things that are not healthy for me. Grace shapes your thoughts and changes your desires. Grace, Titus says, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Not because I hear sin management sermons, but because I hear sermons that tell me who I am. And I'm a part of a new and better covenant. And there's nothing that I can do that to mess this up. I got to just stay yielded. Come on, somebody. I want us to come to the table of the Lord and just, can we just receive his love, his mercy, his grace? Can we let the physician heal us? Heal us from toxic thinking. You're no longer a sinner. When you come partake of this, this bread and this juice, 
I think they put wine in there. No, I'm just playing. When you come partake of this, I want you to really believe that you're partaking of the presence and receiving the cleansing blood of Jesus. It's mystical. It's not the literal body and blood, but it's mystically the manifest body and blood of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. And let him heal. Let him set you free. Let him speak to you when you participate in this and you, you partake of the cracker and drink the juice. Let hear his voice saying, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. It's who you are. Know who you are so you can fly, you can run, you can do what I've created to do. Remember his death until he comes. Remember what he's accomplished and that we are participating in his death and in his life, his, in his resurrection and in his ascension, that we're seated with him in heavenly places, face to face with the Father. We have been grafted in. We have been allowed to be participating in this wonderful life. Can you say amen? Can we have uh, our leaders come now? What we're going to do is we're going to serve you communion. We're going to dismiss you in a moment. Uh, Host, if you could just stand up front and be ready to dismiss each row. And uh, I I want us to, there's going to be a table on the left here and on the right. And, and so our leaders are going to serve you communion because we are not called to take communion. We receive communion. We don't take from God. We receive from God. Can you say amen? And, and they're going to just hand you a cracker and juice. And they're going to say, receive the broken body of Jesus. Receive the blood of Jesus. And all you got to do is say, I receive it. Amen. All right. So we're going to do that in just a moment. And as you do, anticipate to receive just the presence of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the cleansing of God, knowing that you, you're, you're no longer under condemnation. You're not under condemnation. And receive his healing, receive his life. Amen. Father, we bless the elements right now. We release your manifest presence in the cracker and in the juice. It is your broken body and your precious blood, the blood of the lamb, the blood of God, the son, the blood of the divine yet human one, the blood of Jesus, we receive. It heals us. It sets us free. It washes us clean. It lifts our burdens. It it wipes away our pain and removes all of our stain. We say yes, and we receive and partake of your presence, your broken body, so that ours could be mended. Thank you, Lord. We bless the elements now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I want you to just say amen with me and come with a humble heart to receive. As they dismiss you, as the host dismiss you, come and they're gonna hand it to you and say, receive the broken body. I want you to say that leaders, receive the broken body of Jesus and you say amen. And then you get the juice, receive the precious blood of the lamb and you say amen, all right? Go ahead and start dismissing. Let's partake together. Let's come to the table of the Lord, saints. Come on, thank God for new covenant realities. Thank God for the new covenant blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And you can partake on your own. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for anybody. You can dismiss two rows at a time. It's 9 a.m. There's plenty of, just come. If, if you want to come to the table of the Lord, when you hand it to him, leaders say, receive the broken body of Jesus. Receive his presence. Receive the blood of the lamb. Be cleansed. Be forgiven. Receive his mercy. Receive his grace. Receive a new beginning. I prophesy that over some of you right now. 
wipes away our stains, heals our pains. The blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb that was sacrificed. Receive his broken body, receive his precious blood. In the name of Jesus, Lord, may every person partaking experience your presence, experience your cleansing. There's no sin that can outsend the blood of Jesus, the cleansing power. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. Oh, the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. It's because of your blood, it's because of what you've done. Receive his presence. Receive his precious blood. Let it cleanse your mind. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore over your mistakes. No condemnation. We cancel out the lies of condemnation and guilt and shame right now. In the name of Jesus, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Hallelujah. Receive the broken body of Jesus and receive his precious blood. As you come and you partake, just say amen. And then you can just eat the cracker, drink the juice, and then make sure uh, you, you toss that or give it to one of our hosts. Put it at the end of the aisle. Hallelujah.